Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, so now you can legally bet on all those football games. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Big decision by the Supreme Court yesterday. It's just one of the many topics we'll be covering today. Talking to you about here on the Bill Press Show. How about it? It's Tuesday, Tuesday, May 15. Here we go. For the next couple of hours, bringing you up to date on all the news of the day here in Washington. At the Congress, just down the street from our studio. Mm, boy, hard time getting started this morning. And uh, down at the White House as well. What's going on around the country and around the globe, everywhere in this great land of ours uh, from uh, the shores of Hawaii. Still got incredible video of the uh, volcano spewing lava and shooting lava up into the air there uh, on the Big Island all the way here to Washington, D.C., where uh, yesterday uh, First Lady Melania Trump undergoing a medical procedure out at Walter Reed Hospital uh, and all eyes on Israel where the the official split-screen, official opening of the new U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem and 60 miles away bloodshed at the border As Dana Milbank says in the Washington Post this morning, nothing speaks peace like bloodshed. We'll cover it all for you. Get your comments as well. Look forward to hearing from you. Your comments on the news of the day as we barrel through it. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Yes, don't leave Twitter to Donald Trump. Take charge of it yourself. Send us your comments. A great lineup of guests. Lots of topics to talk about. We get right into it. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, Bill. Yes. I know that you just recently took a flight out to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you travel with your emotional support animal? Uh, I did. I had a peacock. Okay. Well, yeah. the peacock actually is still okay, according to American Airlines, because yesterday they came out and clarified their rules on emotional support animals. I've got some bad news <laughs> if you traveled with insects... 
goats, uh-huh. hedgehogs, oh. and a couple of other animals that you used as some emotional support animals. American Airlines said yesterday, no more, no more. You can still bring an emotional support animal, but they are limiting the type of animals that you can bring. For example, I th- yeah. insects. Ins- I, I agree. I, I think peacocks should be off the list as well. I, uh, I agree with you, actually, but they did not specify peacocks in this. But they did outlaw goats, hedgehogs, ferrets, spiders, not oh, non-household birds. How about oh, all right. Okay. So I guess that works. Yeah. How about uh, uh, pigs? Pigs are not specifically banned in this, because I think that there are some people who have like pot-bellied pigs that uses their I know. emotional support. So that I think they still allow. The other thing that they said is, if you want to bring an emotional support animal on board, you have to file paperwork 48 hours. Before your flight, so I you think that's just, a good idea. I do too. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I mean, these are weird rules, right? So they're like trying to adapt with it. But they also said if you have a pet that is unclean or has an odor, those are also banned. Those are also banned. So basically, they're trying to really get it down to where it's just service animals for crying out loud. You can't bring your spider on board as your emotional support animal. I, I must admit, I'm skeptical about this whole business of emotional support animals. Yeah, same. Uh, I did get on a, a flight recently, and there was a woman alongside me. I didn't realize, so I sat down, but that's sure she was, with a dog in her lap. Okay. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I must admit, the dog uh, uh, the dog didn't was not a bother. He just cuddled up in her lap the entire flight. But I can deal with that. Especially if the dog is okay. I didn't pet it. I didn't talk to it. I ignored it. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I, didn't. I can deal with it. I've been next to dogs on planes, and they've been okay. Like, I've never had a, a horror, but I know it can be a horror story for some people. But I, yeah. I, I think I'm okay with dogs just because, what else are you going to do? Put them in the stowaway? Like, put yeah. them in the, with the luggage? Dogs or cats I'm okay with. Yeah. All right. But no spiders. But I, I did, I, no hedgehogs. As long no as it's not long. I, I don't even want the I don't want the dog alongside me either. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, Ivanka was all smiles yesterday as 58 people were killed at the border by Israeli forces. The New York Daily News hails her today with her big smile as daddy's little ghoul. What do you say, everybody? Whoa, it's a rough life out there, Ah, especially if you're a protester in the uh, Gaza Strip. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, May 15, we boom out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day, bringing you up to date on everything going on, whether it's here around the, the country, around the, here in Washington, around the country, around the globe. We got it covered. We'll tell you what's going on, and you tell us what it all means to you. Boy, I got to tell you, we had uh, some... Heavy, heavy weather last night in the Washington, D.C. area. Tornado warnings. Man, rain like you never heard or saw rain before. Thunder, lightning, pretty pretty violent uh, stuff out there. Phones gone off with uh, warnings about weather conditions. Uh, it, was, uh, it was kind of biblical uh, last night, but... Kind of, we all survived and we all made it here today. So I kind of love it when that happens. That might be an unpopular opinion, right? But like, I love it. I love to sleep when it's raining that hard outside. 
I like the lightning going off. I like it. I'm here for it. As uh, long as I can make it into work, okay. Yeah, right. Uh, and so far as we know, none of those tornadoes touched ground. But it was, uh, and uh, all, all you know, local television was nothing but uh, tornado warnings and storm storm watch. Uh, and uh, uh, again, uh, we survived. So here we are. Uh, with a great lineup of guests today, as always, Jack Jenkins, reporter for the Religion News Service, is going to be here to talk about the uh, two uh, <clears throat> kind of extreme right-wing pastors, both of whom spoke at the opening of the uh, new American Embassy in Jerusalem yesterday. Sabrina Siddiqui, our good friend uh, from The Guardian, will be here as a friend of Bill, and she and I will be joined by Pema Levy from Mother Jones. Oh, man, so many places to start today. I want to start something that is not necessarily in the headlines today. Uh, it just sort of caught my attention. Favorite story of the day, maybe for me, uh, the headline, pretty scary. We've been watching, you know, what's happening uh, with all the, uh, um, from Kilauea out in Hawaii, the, the, the eruptions there and people having to flee and home, homes lost and cars burned up and the lava just inching down, gobbling up roads and houses and cars and everything in front of it. Um, but the New York Times reporting this morning, get this. Hate to scare the hell out of you so early in the day. It's not just Hawaii. The United States has 169 volcanoes that could erupt any day. Yep, 169 volcanoes. Uh, they report this is according to the United States Geological Service, the USGS. These are 169 potentially active volcanoes. Some of them look like classic volcanoes, conical mountains, you know. Uh, others just are maybe flat mountains you wouldn't think, but they are actually potentially uh, active volcanoes. Um, they could erupt tomorrow or in 10,000 years, or maybe never again. But they are being watched, and they are monitor worthy of monitoring, put it that way. People are watching these. And here, here's where they are. A bunch of them in Hawaii, more in Hawaii. Uh, Alaska. Hawaii often gets the headlines, but Alaska has the numbers. At least 50 volcanoes have been active in, vol in uh, Hawaii, since 1760. Uh, don't think of that as uh, Alaska. No, not at all. Right? Okay. But not just Alaska and Hawaii. Uh, up and down the Pacific coast, from Canada to Mexico. Boy, I know this because I live there, right? The American West is dotted with volcanoes. You've got Mount Lassen. You've got Mount Shasta. You've got Mount Hood. Um, uh, so many of them. Uh, Mount St. Helens, which erupted, uh, what was it, 1980. Uh, was that huge eruption there? Uh, not just uh, along the Pacific coast, but also inland, Wyoming and the Rockies. So uh, all I'm saying is, watch out. That doesn't matter where you are. That big hill next to you. Nobody's safe. Nobody's nobody, safe. Nobody is safe. You don't think of that though, huh? 169 volcanoes that could erupt. I, when I think of volcanoes in America, I really only think of Hawaii. So, yeah. We're the West Coast. I mean, having lived on the West Coast, sure. I think of it. But I don't sure, think of them sure. as erupting. Right, I right. just think of them as what volcanoes used to be. Right, yeah, yeah, Mount yeah. Mount Jefferson, yeah. Mount Hood, you know, that whole area around around Hood River. Uh, just uh, and, and, uh, and you see them all the time right, when I'm out there. 
Um, but um, that 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 surprised the hell out of me. I didn't realize there were that many uh, active volcanoes. Just be careful out there, y'all. Yes, just be careful out there. Uh, exactly. Boy, what a day yesterday. Yep, Bibi Netanyahu said it was a glorious day in Israel. Yeah, it was a glorious day. Maybe if you were sitting there uh, among the people who went to the opening of the uh, new U.S. embassy in Jerusalem, which, by the way, was kind of a phony deal, right? What they did is they put a new sign on the American consulate building in Jerusalem to make it officially now the American embassy. Most of the operations of the embassy still remain in Tel Aviv. They will eventually move, but they wanted to have that ceremony yesterday, which was, as we pointed out yesterday, the 70th 70th anniversary uh, of the creation of the State of Israel and the recognition, immediate recognition of the State of Israel uh, by the United States of America. They wanted to mark mark that day. Uh, And at that ceremony, of course, it was mainly turned into, uh, of course, Steve Mnuchin was there, Jared Kushner was there, Ivanka Trump was there, sitting right alongside of Bibi Netanyahu, and boy, they all went overboard in praising the man who made the decision. He may not have been there, but they know that Donald Trump likes to get buttered up, and boy, they did it yesterday. Here's the uh, U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, opening things up. Today's historic event is attributed to the vision, the courage, and the moral clarity of one person to whom we owe an enormous and eternal debt of gratitude, President Donald J. Trump. Uh, You know, you would know they turned it into a Trump campaign rally. An eternal debt of gratitude. Uh, A little over the top, but yeah, the more over the top, the better as far as Donald Trump is concerned. Um, And also... Bibi Netanyahu, of course, because Bibi, Donald Trump did exactly what Bibi wanted. And in return, Bibi gives Donald Trump just what he wants. President Trump, by recognizing history, you have made history. Yes. And again, as the uh, Daily News calls her today, daddy's a little ghoul, uh, welcoming uh, the crowd uh, as she unveiled uh, and the the, uh, the new sign on the front of what was the American consulate. On behalf of the 45th president of the United States on America, we welcome you officially and for the first time to the embassy of the United States here in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. Yep, there we go. Meanwhile, 60 miles away, some 40,000 protesters stormed the fence that celebra- separates Gaza from uh, Israel. They were met by uh, open fire, live ammunition on the part of uh, Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF. Um, and the results were, according to the latest I saw this morning, uh, 58 protesters killed. 2,700 injured, and of those 2,700, 1,359 were injured with live ammunition. Uh, Hardly, hardly um, the image that uh, Israel or the United States wanted to see broadcast around the world, and yet that's the way it was. It was uh, a very troubling, I thought, coverage yesterday 
all throughout the day because it was split screen. It was the worst of split screen TV. On the one on the one side, yucking it up uh, in Jerusalem at the opening of the embassy, and on the other side, violent bloodshed and certainly, uh, I believe, excessive use of force on the part of Israel. I said this yesterday. I'll say it again today. Uh, not that the people, uh, the Hamas is not without blame. Um, Hamas is an unruly mob, basically, uh, incapable. They, they admit almost that they're incapable of governing Gaza. They threw the Palestinian, Palestinian Authority out of Gaza some 10 years ago, uh, and they've done nothing to help the people there since. Uh, they are certainly stirring up the protest, wanting to make a scene, but, but if any other country on the planet, if Cuba, if Venezuela, if Iran, you name it, if any other country opened live ammunition, used live ammunition and opened and allowed their troops to just open fire on unarmed protesters, we would be condemning it loudly and clearly worldwide. And yet, not a, not a, not a word of protest against the violence and against the killing, against the bloodshed uh, on the Gaza border yesterday. Uh, as a result of, again, of live fire and, I believe, excessive use of force by Israeli forces. In fact, at the White House yesterday, the blame was all one-sided. Uh, Raj Shah filling in for Press Secretary uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders basically says, he did say, word for word, Israel has a right to defend itself. That means whatever Israel wants to do, whatever Israel does, we will support it. Period. Not a word of protest. Here's Raj Shah. Who's responsible? Hamas is responsible. We believe that um, you know Hamas is responsible for these for these uh, tragic deaths. That their uh, rather cynical um, exploitation of the situation it is what is what's leading to these deaths, and uh, we want them to stop. And nothing, nothing he says. This is nothing but pure on the part of Hamas. Pure propaganda. This is a propaganda attempt. I mean, this is a, a gruesome and unfortunate propaganda attempt. I think the Israeli government has spent weeks um, trying to handle this uh, without violence. Yeah, and Raj Shah again. That's horrifying, it by is. the way. Right. Like that, yeah. that statement alone, that these dozens of people that were killed yesterday is nothing more than a propaganda attempt, mm -hmm. that's disgusting. Yeah. It's disgusting. It, and, and like, uh, again, I, I mentioned this yeah. during, the, during our meeting earlier. Like, the, the comments that, that uh, 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 Ms. Sadler made about John McCain were way out of line and really <laughs> inappropriate. But that comment is worse than, I mean, it's worse than any of the comments that have been made about John McCain, and it'll get a fraction of the coverage. Yeah, no, ab absolutely, yeah. And, but uh, on the other hand, um, Magdalena, her name is Magdalena Mugabe, I guess, right? She is a spokesperson for Human Rights International, Amnesty International. They've been shooting life high-velocity bullets at uh, protesters who do not pose uh, imminent threat in violation of international law. Totally in violation yeah. of international law. Again, Propaganda, you name uh, any other country, any other country that opened, again, used live fire uh, against protesters for whatever cause, uh, and um, there would be worldwide condemnation. Uh, I just want to read uh, just a couple of paragraphs from the lead editorial in the New York Times this morning, which, which sums it up and I think responds to Raj Shah very well. Uh, last three paragraphs, paragraphs of his lead editorial, quote, 
Israel has every right to defend its borders, including the boundary with Gaza. But uh, officials are unconvincing when they argue that only live ammunition, rather than tear gas or water cannons or other non-lethal measures, can protect Israel from being overrun. Amen. Led too long by men who were corrupt or violent or both, the Palestinians have failed and failed again to make their own best efforts toward peace. Even now, Gazans are undermining their own cause by resorting to violence rather than keeping their protests strictly peaceful. But the contrast on Monday between exultation in Jerusalem and the agony of Palestinians in Gaza could not have been more stark or more chilling to those who continue to hope for a just and durable peace. And clearly, uh, that uh, move by Donald Trump opening uh, that uh, embassy, moving that embassy uh, to Jerusalem, as we discussed yesterday, a decision that had always, uh, every other former American president had said, we'll leave it up to the people of the region to decide uh, the future of Jerusalem. But Donald Trump's decision, rushing into that, doing again exactly what Bibi Netanyahu wanted him to do, makes peace much more, will make peace much more difficult, peaceful resolution, much more difficult to achieve uh, in between the Palestinians and the Israelis than before. It just widens the gap uh, and doesn't help matters at all. We'll be talking more also uh, in the next half hour with Jack Jenkins from the Religion News Service about the two pastors, the two American pastors who have made outrageous anti-Semitic remarks uh, who don't believe the Jews can be saved at all. How? What happened and how were the two of those pastors invited to give the invocation and the final blessing at the opening of the U.S. Embassy in Israel yesterday and what kind of message did, did, did that send? Meanwhile, in other news, Supreme Court, big, big, big decision yesterday on sports betting. Now, this is something we haven't talked about for a, a, a long time. But I have mentioned every time I go to Las Vegas, I'm always surprised to see, because you don't see it anywhere else, and impressed to see the big sports betting sections of the casinos. They're huge, huge. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are more people in there, I think, than I see, like, anywhere else, right? And there, there are so many people, and the screens, like, all over the place, and people are betting on Every sport imaginable. Well, it's so popular, especially in Vegas, because it, it, it's the only it place you can do it now. It's the only place you can do it Legally. right now. Yeah, uh, but it's also it's, it doesn't require a lot of understanding about gambling, right? Like some of these parlor games, mm, you know, like mm. lead and all that, and yeah, poker. Yeah. You have to kind of right. know how to play. But like, if you know and you like watching sports, which a lot of people obviously do, you can walk into some of these places. Some of them. They've built a whole like restaurant bar situation around sitting down, having your meal, Total. drinking a ton of beer, while also placing a ton of bets oh, totally. on the games and on the huge screens yeah, in front yeah, of you. Totally. It's it's that whole scene. I'm yeah. always I'm always amazed by it. Well, uh, there has been a, a law since 1992, a federal law that says that states cannot allow a sports gambling. Right? You can have other kind of gambling, obviously, in most states and a lot of states. I don't know that it's most. But the Supreme Court yesterday said that law is uh, unconstitutional. The states should be able to do whatever they want to do when it comes to sports betting. Uh, so this isn't meaning to, like today, but, but, but it's not going to be long before other states are going to be passing laws uh, to open up sports betting parlors or 
pardon me, even to allow betting where the sports are taking place. So you could have your bookies or whatever or your desk right inside the ballpark, inside the uh, base basketball arena, the hockey arena, or whatever. Um, and um, I, I was reading, somebody was saying you could even like get to go to the Nats game. People could be placing bets on whether this pitch, the, the pitcher, right? The bases are loaded, and it's a full count. And you're betting on whether that next pitch is going to decide the game or not. It's amazing. It is. It's totally amazing. And you're going to be able to do it, of course, on this. You won't have to run up to the bookie. You'll be out. You know, it'll be all on. A lot of it will be online. It'll all be sanctioned. I mean, that's the thing. It'll all be sanctioned. Bookies exist now, right? Like there are bookies out there that you deal with. It's all off the books. Yes. Yes. Uh, And so, if this is regulated and sanctioned, and you have again, like. Like you mentioned, apps that will be built to be able to do this on your phone. You could just sit in your seat, yep, watching well, a sporting well, event, yeah, and yeah. place bet after bet after bet yeah. after bet I got money on, on the this. upcoming play. I got money on this next pitch, baby. Yeah, yeah. right. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, and you'll probably hear groans all over the stadium, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and by the way, nobody was happier about this than uh, former governor Chris Christie. He pushed for sports betting uh, in New Jersey. In fact, the people of New Jersey actually passed an initiative uh, in favor of sports betting, but they couldn't do it because of this 1992 law. Chris Christie yesterday, happy man. We'll take this out of the shadows, out of illegality, and uh, make it a legal enterprise. And I think that's going to be a great thing for the people of the state. Yes, indeed. And he says uh, certainly for all states, but especially for New Jersey, baby. New Jersey is, uh, you know, a big state for gambling. We were the second state to have casino gambling in the country. Uh, This is a natural extension of that. Um, And the people decided they wanted it. You know, I don't have a problem with this, uh, actually. Uh, I'm not a gambler. Uh, I wouldn't know how to. I I avoid the games, as you say, the parlor games in Vegas, because I just don't know how to do it. Not that that I'm morally opposed to it. House always wins, Bill. (laughs) The house always wins. that's, That's the rule. Uh, but I think states should be able to look. The, the states should be able to do. You got horse racing. You've got the regular casinos in many states now. You ha- and you have the Native American casinos. Uh, and um, Nevada should be not be. I should not be the only state. I think where you can do sports betting. We'll see how this shakes down the vote. Um, by the way, was six to three yesterday. Um, and so Elena Kagan went with the majority, uh, but. Sonia Sotomayor, Justice Sotomayor, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Justice Stephen Breyer uh, were the dissenters. Breyer, not all the way. He thought that there could be um, some compromise, but that that this decision, he felt, just went uh, a little too far. Um, Let me ask you this. You go to Nationals games. Let's say you go to a Nats game, and there's a whole separate area for gambling would you i mean would you feel tempted to go do that or no, take part in it prob- no probably not just again i'm not a gambler that's just a you thing yeah, yeah you yeah. know what i'm too cheap yeah fair because <laughs> yeah. i know i'd lose sure yeah like i said the house always wins right i'd rather spend my money going out to a big meal or something like a good meal yeah. or something like that like i've heard people talk about how it sort of takes away from the game and i hear that i, I do like i think if you're going to go yeah. to a ball game yeah. and you've got a bunch of people that are yeah. way, more, may, way more worried about losing money on the game than it is about sitting down and actually enjoying it. Like, right. That I get. Mm-hmm. But in terms of just like sports betting, yeah, it should be legal. So if people want to do it, I'm fine with it, right? Yeah. They want to throw away their money? 
Have a ball. Have a ball. Good luck. Exactly. Uh, yesterday, of course, was the day that uh, we were all looking forward to because we knew yesterday was the day that the White House, uh, uh, particularly Kelly Sadler, if not Kelly Sadler, somebody at the White House would apologize to John McCain. Oops, that didn't happen. In fact, the White House just dug down. I checked, by the way, yesterday, uh, what we discussed as we thought was the case. It is true. The White House has never not issued an apology for anything done or said over the last year. Not for Charleston, uh, Char- Charlottesville, rather, uh, you name it. Not one apology. Not the president and nobody around him. Uh, and to this so as of yesterday, as of this morning, uh, Kelly Sadler, who made the comment about it doesn't matter what John McCain says because he's dying anyway, uh, she has not apologized, and she still has a job. And it looks like she's going to keep her job. Raj Shaw, who was, by the way, presiding over the meeting in which Kelly Sadler made her sick comment, he at the podium yesterday uh, defending, I wouldn't say defending her, but he certainly wasn't going to criticize definitely her. Definitely deflecting. Deflecting because he said, no, this is just an internal matter. This is an internal matter. It's being addressed uh, internally, and I don't have anything further to add. It's not an internal matter. It's not an internal matter when a presidential aide slams, slurs, smears, uh, a leading United States senator who happens to be battling brain cancer. Raj Shaw says, basically, um, you got to feel, he almost saying here, you've got to feel sorry for her and for me and all of us who work in the White House. If you aren't able in internal meetings to speak your mind or, or convey thoughts or say anything that you feel uh without feeling like your colleagues will betray you, that creates a very difficult work environment. I think anybody who works anywhere could recognize that. Uh, No. Uh, I don't think anybody who works uh, anywhere should recognize that you can say something as outrageous as she said and get away with it. And not, again, not even have to apologize. Uh, Megan McCain was right when she said, what kind of a work environment does exist when you can say something like that and show up the next day and still have a job. No consequences. No consequences uh, at all. So uh, in typical fashion at the White House, they're attacking the leaker, not the person who made the comment. In fact, Donald Trump yesterday said, in sort of a contradictory tweet, all this talk about all the leakers at the White House, they're wrong. There are not so many leakers at the White House, but... The people who do leak are traitors, and we're going to get them. <laughs> like, imagine that that's your takeaway from this story, that your yeah. problem is you're going to fix the leakers. Yeah, right. And there are now reports that they're essentially going to have, pol- like, not actual police, but, like, a task force come into the White House to try and help sniff out the leakers. You know, it, it really is amazing that in this meeting where this McCain thing was leaked, as we talked about yesterday, five people. Yeah. Five Five people came forward to corroborate this story. Mm-hmm. Now, it couldn't have been that big of a meeting. No, no. There weren't 100 people there. Right? Certainly no, not. No. There, it was a meeting inside the White House around the table, and five people said this is what she said. I mean, if right. Donald Trump thinks that he's going to disrupt 
the great Washington tradition of leaking to reporters, he's got an uphill battle. And as several of our reporter friends who've been here as guests have told us, uh, there are more leaks out of this White House on a daily basis. It's a flood on a daily basis of leaks from this White House, which tells you something about the loyalty uh, of the White House staff to the man that they're working for. Uh, and one final comment. I know you've heard First Lady Melania Trump uh, yesterday undergoing a procedure. They're calling it uh, a procedure for a medical procedure for to take care of a benign kidney condition uh, at Walter Reed Hospital. Uh, she had that operation yesterday. All reports are that she is uh, very successful. She's doing well. It's not serious, but she will be there in the hospital for the rest of the week. If she's a First Lady of the United States, they want to make sure is everything okay, everything is okay. So we're glad to hear the good news and certainly wish the First Lady well. When we come back, yes, more about what the hell were they thinking when they invited Robert Jeffress and John Hagee, uh, two American right-wing preachers, to be on the program yesterday at the opening of the Jewish Embassy in Israel. Jack Jenkins joins us from Religion News Service. Quick break. We'll be right back. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, good to see you today. Tuesday, May 15. How about it? It is The Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C. As always, our studio right here on Capitol Hill. And we're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their colorful international president, the one and only Leo Gerard. United Steelworkers, check out their website at usw.org and find out more about their great work to um, reinvigorate the United States steel industry uh, with a little bit of help from Donald Trump. North America's largest industrial union with over 1.2 active and retired uh, members. Uh, And just another little reminder, if you haven't caught up with it uh, already, I gave a couple of big interviews Uh, yesterday on my new book, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. Um, Great, great read, I think, myself, if I must say so. Uh, Bernie Sanders says so, too, his blurb on the front. This is the tale of an enraged and often outraged citizen who loves his country and wants to see it move forward in a positive direction. Thank you, Bernie. Go to our website to find out more about it at BillPressShow.com. Jack Jenkins joins us from the Religion News Service uh, on all the events of yesterday. Jack, it's good to see you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming in, and uh, we'll catch up with you in just a minute, but we've uh, been at it for uh, a half hour or so, generating uh, a little commentary here, Peter. Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show, where you can find us, Tom says, those clips you played of Israelis praising Trump, I blew, I blew breakfast. In other oh. words, he th- <laughs> we should be careful about playing clips of being so uh, people being so effusive well, 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 they in their weren't Israelis. Well, first of all, it, yeah, Bibi Netanyahu, but the first one was the American the, the ambassador. ambassador. Yeah. Uh, another, another comment saying, there is no excuse <laughs> for shooting unarmed people ever, talking about the situation 
in Israel. Also, uh, Game Over found us to talk about the sports betting. He said, oh, uh, yeah. interesting that they'll allow sports betting, yet will not allow online poker sites, which is an interesting point. Uh, and another person uh, tweeting saying, leaks are saving America. <laughs> uh, by the way, you, you did get a couple of hate tweets yesterday. I, hate I did. Yeah, yeah, you read one of them. Uh, Christopher Jones says, hey, Billy Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just think is pretty great. Hey, Billy Dumbass, Trump is making the world a safer place. Uh, Billy Boy, one day you will tick off the wrong person and you'll receive a good ass whipping. There are a lot more crazies out there. All right, so essentially saying, watch, watch your ass, Bill. <laughs> well, maybe I could be like Scott Pruitt and have protection 24-7. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. 19 and cars and 19 security agents. One other comment. This is from yesterday. We talked about how the RNC is having a hard time figuring, finding, finding yeah, a city, finding a, a city. host city. Nobody wants them. Uh, Sandy says, maybe we could get Moscow to host the GOP convention. <laughs> 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 if you have a comment on any topic at any time, find us on Twitter at BP Show. BP Show. Well, that would be easy for Donald Trump because he knows all the good hotels. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's better stop right there. Uh, yes, indeed. So, Jack, uh, this opening of the U.S. Embassy yesterday, uh, it seemed fraught with religious overturn overtones, right? Right. Um, it, Jerusalem, in general, yeah, <laughs> often yeah. has that element. Um, I, can't, I guess you can't avoid it, right? right. <laughs> in a city that's you know deemed to be um, holy by three different major world religions. Um, it tends to have that element, um, but it was it was as you say it was it was fraught re- with religious overtones in multiple ways. Obviously, it's it's as mentioned its status already with multi religious traditions, but also here in the United States, it was um, the, the the declaration of Jerusalem by Trump as the capital of Israel and the moving of the embassy there struck a chord with one particular group. Um, arguably more than others um, in terms of, of percentage of support, and that's white evangelical Protestants in the United States. Um, and so it may not— Why? Be... So that's that's a good question. Um, there, the support for Israel is something, among white evangelicals, um, has been something that uh, has existed for quite some time. And uh, and arguably, you know, different Israeli leaders have actually um, actively cultivated that relationship with that demographic. But what you ultimately get, what it ultimately gets down to, is that a lot of evangelicals, um, either explicitly or in, in parts, um, adhere to what is often described as premillennial dispensationalism or dispensationalism, which is a big, really big term for a kind of theology that has a lot of strong feelings about Israel, and it's rooted in the idea that God promised um, uh, Israel to the Jews. And that it should remain as such. And um, it's also tied to end times theology, which is the idea that Jerusalem in particular is very important um, because, you know, King David and uh, Jesus hung out there. But then also ultimately um, Jesus would return and rule by this theology from Jerusalem and ideally, and uh, according to white evangelicals, all those in, in Jerusalem will instantly convert to Christianity, and then the end times will come. <laughs> and so, thus, uh, Armageddon and you know the 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 delineating between the wheat and the chaff, as it were. Um, and so, this is all wrapped up in this so, this ideology. So, uh, I don't know. Judge Janine Pirro said this the other night on Fox too. But what they're really saying is this is all biblical, right? Right. That that what ha- what we saw yesterday. 
which was Donald Trump making this move where other presidents have whatever they they all see it's not just it's not political it's biblical right Right. this is all ordained and preordained and and uh prophesied if you will in the old testament right they they often refer to prophecy specifically so the idea like i think judge janine actually used the term um prophecy um several other evangelicals have as well when describing this move as the fulfillment of quote-unquote biblical prophecy. Now, there are different versions of this theology that look different, but generally speaking, is, um, Israel and Jerusalem still play a big role. Well, what, so to me, the um, underbelly of this, if you will, is that these evangelical Protestants are, don't, are they, they don't believe that Jews can, uh, Robert Jeffress, he's, uh, let's talk about him, right? Right. He doesn't believe that he has said that Jews can't be saved because they do not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. Right. So Robert Jeffress, who, as you mentioned, was a, played a role here because he so was one of the pastors who delivered a prayer at the— um, So they love the Jews, but they all think they're going to burn in hell. They well, think they're all going to burn in hell. <laughs> I think one version of dispensationalism is the idea that when Jesus comes back, the Jews will all convert. That's, that's kind of the, the overriding theological idea. Um, but, but that's still, but, to me, I yes. hear you, but that's a, that's a real slap, right? Mm-hmm. And embedded at, within ju- it is— Judaism. The, and embedded within it is the idea if they don't convert, then, yeah, then they'll right. be in the same place of, of all, you know, all sinners. And so that's—it um, it, it has been interpreted widely, and Jeffress has claimed that—made um, that, that claim several times, you know, the idea that if you're Jewish, you cannot be saved, you're going to hell, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of people have interpreted that— as being a slap at Junaism, absolutely. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I was raised a Catholic, and when I was young, I was taught, too, that Jews could not go to heaven because they don't believe in, in Jesus. I remember uh, that came up when uh, George W. Bush was running for president, I think, and he had that belief as a Protestant, and his mother told him, you know, no, that's wrong, right? Right. You, you don't have to be a white Protestant evangelical to get to heaven, Jews can, Catholics can, Muslims can, whatever you know. Right, and, and Jeffress has kind of made a career out of saying, you know, at making um, really inflammatory statements, often at the detriment of other faith traditions. I mean, yeah. it, yesterday uh, or the day before yesterday, Mitt Romney from of 2012 right. fame actually tweeted that um, Robert Jeffress shouldn't be the one to deliver the prayer because, as he described it, he's a religious bigot. And that's Mitt Romney's words um, speaking about Jeffress. And if you back that up, you can see that a lot of, you know, there's back in 2012, um, Robert Jeffress referred to Mormonism as a cult when Mitt Romney was running for president. So there's some some old school beef there. And, you know, Jeffress has also said, you know, for instance, the Catholic Church, Jeffress referred to that as, you know, expo- evidence of the genius of Satan, the modern right. Catholic yeah. Church, things yeah. like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so there's been a lot of comments. I don't about disagree other with that. <laughs> right. Robert Jeffress, here it is, a New York Times quotesman this morning. Islam, this is an interview he gave back in 2010 on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. Islam is wrong. It is a heresy from the pit of hell. Mormonism is wrong. It is a heresy from the pit of hell. Judaism, you can't be saved being a Jew. And then he says about Catholicism, as you right. point out, right? Right. The work of Satan. All right. So here he is yesterday at the uh, at the opening of this um, uh, of the uh, embassy in in Jerusalem. Uh, Robert Robert Jeffress, right? Heavenly Father, yeah. we come before you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
thanking you for bringing us to this momentous occasion in the life of your people and in the history of our world. So who invited this guy? Well, it's it's important Who to re- invited this bigot. <laughs> it's important to rem- remember that Robert Jeffress is very closely attached to Donald Trump. Um, the you you may remember Robert Jeffress as the individual who um, uh, last year during the Fourth of July or Fourth of July celebration um, here in D.C. he brought his choir from his church and they sang um, a hymn-like rendition of a song called "Make America Great Again." Um, you know it, it, that again is referencing Donald Trump's campaign slogan. Um, he has repeatedly defended Donald Trump. You know, after his comments in Charlottesville, he said that you know Trump said exactly the right thing when the a lot of people felt the exact opposite. Um, Jeffress is uh, Trump actually um, endorsed or or, or, or promoted uh, Jeffress's book on his Twitter feed um, mm. recently, and um, so there's 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 you know and on the day of Trump's inauguration. Um, it was Jeffress who delivered a sermon to Trump in the morning vigil that most presidents have um, right across the street from the White House. Oh, at the uh, uh, St. John's Church. Right. Yeah. And the title of that sermon was When God Chooses a Leader. So Jeffress has been a consistent defender of Trump's um, in, you know, in a political and theological sense. So, um, so it's not totally surprising that he would be the one um, so that selects. The, um, the answer to the question, who invited him? <laughs> to give the sermon here or to give the blessing, it sounds like it was Donald Trump right. who put out the word. Yeah, for right. the ceremony, here's, here's my guy, and I want him there. And now, that so there were like bookends. It was Robert Jeffress and then John Hagee. Yes. Is that his name? Yes. Who's he? So John Hagee, um, the, he, he heads up Christians United for Israel, I believe is the name of the organization. Um, and I think that is technically the largest pro-Israel organization in the United States. It is um, overwhelmingly evangelical. And Hagee... Uh, you know, unlike Jeffress, you know, Hagee, his his career has really kind of been rooted in Israel and talking about Israel as an evangelical. And the prophecy part is very important to him. Um, now, as you noted, you know, he's he's also gotten in hot water for some of the things he said about Jews as part of his prophecy. So, for instance, I think the New York Times article you're referencing talks about how uh, he he saw what happened to the Jews in the Holocaust and Hitler as just part of God's plan for putting them back into Israel eventually. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, he was also kind of argued that, you know, that that, that was kind of punishment for the Jews. Um, sorry. Go no, ahead. no, no. I was just you know, look at that hard, part of God's plan. I was just looking because I know that, back to Jeffries for a second, he, he ended his prayer by saying, in Jesus' name, our Lord, or something like right. that. Right. Right. Which, again... It's an interesting. I mean, like you know, just from that's the perspective. That's not what you say. That's not what the Jews say about. Right. It was. It was an interesting way of you know the embassy for that is that is you know uh, technically American soil um, to to bookend it with two evangelical preachers as like the the voices yeah. of the United yeah. States. It certainly says a lot about how the Donald Trump envisions this kind of diplomacy. Um, well, it was uh, uh, so. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I thought a, a bad a bad tone to, to that to, to that whole thing. And, and in, again, it gets down to, um, you, as you pointed out, I've been to, to Jerusalem. What really struck me is, I mean, for Catholics, this is outside of Rome, I guess. But you know, the, the great Catholic shrines there, in, in in and for Jews and for Muslims, it's the holy city. Right. And I mean, you know, Hagee apparently ended his prayer 
with you know saying uh, this should, let it be heard to all Islamic radicals. I forget the exact term he used. Um, something akin to that. You know, Israel lives, like specifically referring to other traditions. I mean, John Hagee. Um, you know, people actually might remember him not for his Israel stuff, but for the comment he made about. Uh, Hurricane Katrina. He was infamous for saying that Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans because of a gay pride parade there, and that it was God's judgment <laughs> oh, on that city. Um, and so these, you know, but but you know, to your point, I mean, it was um, there was a lot of pushback to uh, the selection of these two individuals as part of this embassy, um, you know, declaration because. They they do they do represent not only a um, only a subset of the American religious landscape um, and only a subset of this um, religious landscape that occupies Jerusalem, but also arguably a very narrow subset even within Christianity. Um, and so it it and and with two people who have definitely been in the news often for the inflammatory things they say. Um, it was an interesting choice from a lot of, I mean, for instance, the former U.S. ambassador to Israel under Obama also joined Mitt Romney in condemning that Robert Jeffress was selected as uh, to lead a prayer at this, this event. Right. So the point I was getting to, I guess, when you look at the religious symbolism uh, and importance historically of uh, Jerusalem to, to Muslims, to Christians, to Jews, and to white evangelicals, I guess, is that... Um, making Jerusalem a political football, which is what Donald Trump has done, really flies in the face of that. If there, it seems to me if there's one city that should be an international city you know, with no kind of political soul or exclusive political control, it would be a city like Jerusalem. Right, and, and you know, there's a lot of but people— But putting the embassy there flies in the face of that. It—, it Interestingly, you know, a lot of uh, American religious individuals and international religious individuals agree with you, including Christians in Jerusalem. They actually issued a statement the day when Trump was declaring both Israel, uh, Jerusalem the capital of Israel and discussing the moving of the embassy. Um, they issued a statement saying, you know, this would do irreparable damage or irreparable harm to the status quo in the area if that was done. Um, you know, polls show that— But a holy city, not a political city, I guess right. is what I would— and and you you had uh, you know it was con- I mean, Pope Francis himself you know expressed grave concern over this um, these these declarations of moving and American Jews um, uh, the head of the largest American Jewish group um, according to Pew Research the Union for Reform Judaism issued a statement after Trump made the announcement of the declaration and the move of the embassy in in saying that while they even support you know ultimately making you know moving the embassy and declaring this the capital of Israel that it was not the appropriate time that it should be done later and that actually the plurality of Jews roughly agree um the according to um American Jewish Council that you know when they had a poll last year that also seems to be reflective of their electorate um of American Jews you know the, the largest group says it shouldn't be moved at all and then only a small group says it should be moved immediately the, mm-hmm. another group about 30% um, says that it should be moved, uh, you know, only after during peace talks. It's one of those things where it, most people in the United States, when they looked at this from the religious communities, various religious communities, they wanted a certain kind of if this was going to happen, discourse and uh, process for why it would occur. Um, but evangelicals, white evangelicals, often viewed it differently, and they seem to have gotten their way with Donald Trump, which is a running theme um, with his interaction with that group. Jack Jenkins here with us from Religion News Service. It is religionnews.com, where you can follow their reporting, their writing, uh, their commentary uh, on a daily basis. 
Uh, so, Jack, the big question about evangelicals today, which everybody keeps asking, is um, how are they so supportive of Donald Trump, uh, a person who doesn't have a long history with them, who doesn't necessarily come across as a uh, person of deep faith, and, and then has certain scandals in his life that seem to fly in the face of everything evangelicals preach? What is it? What is it? Pure <laughs> politics? Um, I think, you know, you're, go- you're going to get slightly different answers depending on how you talk to. I I will say that... You've talked to a lot of them, I'm sure, yeah. in your reporting. And what you what often seems to come up is that it, 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 it seems transactional at some level. Um, now, in a raw political sense, that's some stuff like the appointment of Neil Gorsuch, a conservative um, member of the Supreme Court. That was something that the religious right sought and fought for and they have gotten under Donald Trump. Because of abortion. Yes, um, and, you know, arguably same-sex marriage and other issues, you know, things things around or religious liberty as it might be described, issues of religious liberty. Um, and so they, they see that as an element of uh, their argument. Uh, they also want so matter No matter what Donald Trump does in his private life, no matter what, whatever, whatever, right, all the stuff that we know about, as long as he gives them a good Supreme Court nominee, does this look the other way? I mean, I will say that it is interesting that you have people like Ralph Reed, who in, in the 1990s specifically said that, you know, the religious community, the Christian community wants, um, yeah, when he's really talking about the evangelical Christian community, wants moral character in their leadership. And he was referring to Bill Clinton. And after all of this stuff was revealed about Donald Trump, you know, he effectively gave a different answer about, you know, the, the first person that Donald Trump hugged after he signed his most recent um, you know, executive order on the National Day of Prayer a couple of weeks ago was Ralph Reed, right? And so there seems to be a different, um, you know, standard. But and there's a myriad of different. I thought Ralph Reed was gone, man. Uh, I, that's a name I haven't heard. I mean, I know he's been around, but that's a name that's been around for way too long. And they'll make and um, we talked about this. They'll make a number of different arguments. Yeah. One is that you know Donald Trump's actions, for instance, the Stormy Daniels controversy happened before he was president, and so oh, you know, right. the argument okay. that Donald Trump is a changed man. There's also theological arguments, which are you know the <laughs> idea that um, you know, for instance, uh, Mike Pence, when he gave his speech about the embassy yesterday, he kind of referenced that. From you know King David to Donald Trump, Donald Trump has etched his name in history. The King David and King Cyrus argument is one that pops up in theological, um, evangelical theological circles. It's the idea that you can have a biblical figure who may not be very reputable in their personal moral life, but God uses them anyway. And so there's a lot of talk that that Trump is a King Cyrus or a King David figure. Where evangelicals, I prefer Louis Cators. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I mean, if you want a historical figure, but but there's also the, the 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 thinking which I've heard that well, he's just a baby Christian, basically. Right. You know? Yeah, he's got a lot to learn. He's just starting out. Right. Right. Or the nobody's perfect answer. Right. Uh, or we love, the, we hate the sin, but forgive the sinner, or whatever you know. Right. Yeah. Or we're, we we believe in redemption. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in yeah. People can make mistakes and all those all those excuses which come out so readily for a Donald Trump. And as you point out, we're all condemned right by white evangelicals when it was Bill Clinton. Yeah, and I will say one of the interesting things is that traditionally there's a certain way this works in the religious right, where if a leader is gets in, hit with a scandal, they can actually have a very public redemption process where they 
recant, they issue a mea culpa, they beg for forgiveness, and then they are granted that under the auspices of, oh, of course. But Donald Trump has issued an interesting problematic element to that, where Donald Trump has not been apologizing or even admitting that these things occurred. He hasn't done any of that. Right. Remember, I mean, I I was thinking when you were saying that of the Jimmy Swaggart uh. <laughs> so he 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 makes the, the the theological calculus suddenly not work the way that it's traditionally worked. So you hear a myriad of different arguments. Is as there opposed anybody? To, is there any uh, evangelical leader who has come out and said this is unacceptable behavior uh, on the part of any 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 Christian? We cannot condone this behavior. Y- yes, um, there was one member of his evangelical advisory council who, after Charlottesville, left. Uh-huh. A.R. Bernard. Yeah. Um, and th- that was a bridge too far. Um, but otherwise, uh, since he's become president, this, roughly the same cadre of evangelical leaders have stuck by his side. And I think as long as he well, keeps delivering for that dem- um, that group, that demographic, they will probably stick around. Well, my comment is they will burn in hell for that. But uh, that's <clears throat> me speaking anyhow, not you. Jack Jenkins, thanks so much for coming in. ReligionNews.com. And Sabrina Siddiqui is here as a friend of Bill coming up next. Don't go this away. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Yesterday was the day we were going to get the big apology for those um, John McCain remarks at the White House. Oops. Didn't happen. Mm-mm. No, no apology. And Kelly Sadler still has a job. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you. Uh, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, May 15. This is The Bill Press Show, and we are coming to you live uh, all across this great land of ours, all around the world, actually, online, on television, on radio, with all the news of the day, and there is lots of it. Here in Washington, D.C., the Supreme Court yesterday saying, yep, sports betting, it should not be limited uh, exclusive to Las Vegas. Let every state have its own form of sports betting. We'll see what happens to that. Uh, And, of course, around the world, uh, a split screen yesterday with the phony celebration, uh, what some people called a glorious day in Jerusalem, the opening of the American embassy there. Meanwhile, 60 miles away, bloodshed at the border with Gaza with 58 people killed and over 1,000 injured by live gunfire coming from Israeli Defense Forces. Oh, man, so much. We couldn't get through it all without uh, the help of a great, great friend. And she's here, Sabrina Siddiqui. Hi, Sabrina. Hello. How are you? How are you doing? All right. Good to see you. Uh, Everything good? Good to see you. 
Yeah. Last time I was sitting over there, but you weren't here. I know. That's why I was allowed to sit over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys want to switch? <laughs> well, we love it, and all of our uh, all of our people and friends around the country love it when you're sitting in the big chair. But it's nice to have you there just across the table today as well. And we've got lots to talk about. We will jump right into it with Sabrina and with you. Remember, you're part of the show. Let's hear your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is a full court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so the Marianas Trench, right? You know about the Marianas Trench. It's the deepest point in the ocean. It's 36,000 feet down in a very remote part of the Pacific Ocean. It's very, 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 very isolated. Yeah, I mean, I know it exists. I don't know a lot about it. Okay, well, I can tell you one thing about it. Imagine the creatures that live down there. Well, that's the thing. (laughs) Because it's so isolated and it's so dark and it's so hard to get to, uh, they have all this, like, it's it's just, again, it's one of the most isolated parts of the world. Well, here's the thing. A recent study revealed that a plastic bag was found oh. in the Mariana Trench. Come on. There was a study that was put together, the Deep Sea Debris Database, which is trying to take a look at, like, where we are littering, where these things are finding themselves. And for the first time ever, a plastic bag was found 36,000 feet down in the Mariana Trench. So we talk a lot about eliminating plastic bags. What, we, another good reason to do This is just another them. reason to just and to get recycle. rid of them. And to recycle, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, let's go to London because there is a situation happening in London where there were 45 murders in London in the first three months of this year. That's almost double the figure recorded for the same period of 2017. So Donald Trump has obviously made hay out of this. The mayor of London has talked about this. But one thing that... Uh, Statista put out says that the murder rate in London is still lower than in any of the 50 largest cities in the United States. So they took a look at how the uh, murder rate is in here in America compared to London. Baltimore, New Orleans, Detroit, New York, Austin, San Diego all have higher murder rates than London in the first uh, three months of this year. So maybe they should have the Republican National Convention in London. There you go. Maybe. Maybe. Because they can't find an American city that wants them. Exactly. And yesterday, the Seattle City Council approved a version of what they're calling a, quote, head tax. This is basically the Amazon tax. It is aimed directly at Seattle's largest employers to fund efforts to battle homelessness there in the town. So basically, if you are a if you are a company that's making more than twenty million dollars in annual sales, you will get taxed more. So they're saying this should generate roughly five hundred, excuse me, fifty million dollars a year to help the homeless. Back in ten. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, she's got a big smile on her face at the American Embassy in Jerusalem while 60 miles away. 58 people killed by gunfire from Israeli Defense Forces, the New York Daily News, uh, with a full-page cover of Ivanka Trump this morning and the headline, Daddy's Little Ghoul. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we are. On a Tuesday, May 15, the Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Joining you, <coughs> pardon me, wherever you are in this great land of ours, 
online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, on TV, on Free Speech TV, and on the great WCPT out in the uh, Chicago area. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you're off to a good start. And we are certainly we're welcoming Sabrina Siddiqui here from The Guardian uh, uh, as our good friend and a, an official friend of Bill for this hour. Sabrina, with all the big news of the, of the day going on, uh, you've been captivated by the upcoming royal wedding. Oh, dear. It's this week, isn't it? It's on Saturday. Saturday. My invite got lost in the mail. <laughs> Do you have a, uh, a, a a watch party planned? No, I don't. Why I've, not? It's we, early in the morning. You could do it. Well, yeah. first of all, I'd rather be asleep. <laughs> but also, I feel that as much as people think that Meghan Markle represents a positive addition to the royal family, both in terms of diversity and having an independent career woman in Buckingham Palace... I just feel like it's a lot of showmanship for for nothing, really. I mean, I'm I'm not. Hell saying, yeah, ooh. hell yeah, I'm here for this. I I am not saying you know at the end of the day, it's up to the people in the UK if they would like to keep the monarchy in place. But I think that there are better uh, uses of people's money and time. Um, but maybe I'll. Oh, I should be careful because I work at the Guardian. Actually, it's because I work at the Guardian that I should be. Oh, yeah, exactly. I should feel emboldened to espouse yeah, these this. views. Um, but I did. I think you're saying this because I was tasked with the uh, investigative assignment of a yes. lifetime, which was to go check out the royal wedding-inspired pop-up bar in D.C. <laughs> that, that's you, what you caught can, our. You can no, drink a Markle Sparkle. A Markle or a Kensington Sparkle. Garden Party. These are the same people who did pop-ups inspired by Game of Thrones and the Cherry Blossom Festival, and so it's 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 a cool it's a it's a fun uh, thing to check out. They go all out. As you can tell, with the theme and the decor. Um, so, let, 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 me, let me get this straight. So, the Guardian <laughs> paid you to go to this bar and paid for your drinks. To well, I would say I story. wasn't separately paid just to go to the bar. I guess it was built into my salary. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh-huh. and you could expense all your drinks for all your friends. Well, I was I was allowed to expense one drink as long as it wasn't the cocktail named the Daily Mail. <laughs> so, I I will say that I think they wanted more of a tongue-in-cheek look at why Americans are obsessed with the royal family because it still remains true that Americans are far more fascinated and captivated by the royal family than Brits are, and I think it's easier to look at them as this fairy tale family full of occasional scandal and drama. Uh, when the money is not coming out of your taxpayer funds. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but all the video that I see uh, when the royal family goes out in the U.K., I mean, like when when Andrew introduced Meghan Markle or when uh, William and Kate go out with their new little baby, there are mobs of mobs of people there. Harry. Harry introduced Meghan Markle. Harry, yes, I said Andrew. Andrew. I'm sorry. Harry, but there's so—I mean, but, it's I mean, so hard to keep track. Of people, they, well, you know, so they, yes, it there looks are. Like, it looks like I they, think they lot, consider them a fairy tale I, family. I think too. that a lot of them end up being tourists, uh, knowing these events are ha- about to happen, mm-hmm. and a lot of them happen to be at Buckingham Palace anyway. I mean, one of the arguments that's yeah, made to keep right. them in place is it's a huge driver of the economy there because of the tourism factor mm-hmm. alone. But um, I mean, certainly, it doesn't mean that everyone is anti-monarchy in the UK. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be there anymore. But I think uh, a lot of Americans I talk to, I guess it's a part of it's just the entertainment factor too. Wait, can I can I get back to what you were just For talking sure. about? You were you were tasked with finding out why we care so much about this. Why do we care about it? Well, actually, the word I heard from a lot of people in the U.S. is fairy tale. 
because there's this culture here. You grew up with Disney movies and princes and princesses. Um, and so I think there are a lot of people who are who find that to be appealing because that's what they think that this is uh, because it's it's out of sight, out of mind. Um, people, a lot of people watch The Crown, uh, which is a great show on Netflix. But, you know, it it's all entertainment value. Again, uh, there's a symbolic 65 pence a year uh, from UK taxpayer dollars that goes toward uh, the the toward Buckingham Palace, but I think that if, if they aren't your head of state, it, 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 it's, it's just all glamorous, and I think they're part, they, they're considered to be celebrities. I mean, people here are watching the yeah. fashion, and they want to see what's Meghan Markle going to wear when she walks down the aisle, which celebrities are invited, and so to them, I think it's just an extension of almost Hollywood, whereas obviously in the UK, there's more significance behind their history. Yeah. No, I'm with you in terms of the, the silliness of it, I think, uh, and um, and, and time to get rid of the whole thing. But as you say, it's up to the yeah. people of the UK. Uh, the only thing, the, the only thing that I'm excited about with the royal wedding is that I personally know quite well the woman who is baking their wedding cake. What? Yes, you haven't heard Claire I... Claire Patak, who grew up uh, and the daughter of two of our very very best friends in Inverness, California. Mm. Uh, moved to the UK. She was a the chief uh, pastry chef at. Chez Panisse with uh, Alice Waters, another good friend, uh, and then went to the UK, um, married a Brit over there, opened her own little bakery, Violet, no way. Uh, and Meghan Markle discovered her. It's going to be it, a lemon cake of some kind. It's a lemon elderberry cake with fresh flowers on top. Yep. You do go down a rabbit hole, though, when they assign you these stories, because I learned all about them and their preferences for the wedding. While I was fact-checking elements of the bar, so yeah. I found out at one point they requested a banana cake. I, oh, and then I no. found out there's a big significance. Claire would not make a to banana bananas cake. in their banana relationship. Banana cake sounds terrible, but it I does, just hate yeah. banana. But it's just like it was like one thing led to another. Next thing I found that the royal chef had confirmed on record that Prince Harry loves banana desserts. At one point, Meghan cryptically tweeted a photo on Instagram of two bananas cuddling in the early days of their romance. And so this is the rabbit hole you go down when you start to learn about the royal family. You're just like googling like all the daily the Daily Mail. Uh, paparazzi articles that exist out there, but okay. uh, right. that's awesome. Can I can I go as a plus one? I'm assuming she's I was her thinking, <laughs> I was thinking that I would too. I, I probably you also, get the invite. Even her mother, who's a very good friend of ours, and we saw her last week. Um, she was she didn't get a wedding. Well, if I if I ever had an invite, which I still insist was lost in the mill, it's probably revoked after I came after. here and spoke out and against okay. oh, yeah. your entire union. You're off of this now, baby. Uh, let's come back to reality. <laughs> yes, this is Tuesday. Thursday, May 17, is the first anniversary of Robert Mueller being appointed <laughs> special counsel. So he goes into year number two. Year two. I what like we... how reality is this Russia investigation over President Trump. Yeah, what do we know about this, uh, <laughs> what, reality. this reality, the Mueller investigation? I haven't heard much about it for a while. Well, uh, look, I, there's is a... It, is it over? Is it winding no, down? No, it's not. I mean, look, the president and his allies are trying to escalate this campaign uh, to discredit, of course, the investigation, which has been an ongoing campaign that has been embraced even by Republicans on Capitol Hill. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the president and his legal team keep insisting that the investigation should wind down. It's in, it's in year two. Uh, there's uh, John Kelly, a chief of staff, said to NPR last week, there's no meat on the bone. Well, there have been 19 people indicted along with three groups. Um, so I would say people think that <laughs> Those indictments, which include high-ranking campaign officials such as Paul Manafort and his deputy Rick Gates, 
in, you know, Michael Flynn, who is a national security advisor, and then in fine, low level, but still foreign policy advisors, George Papadopoulos and, Car- you know, the, that, that that is not uh, evidence of no meat on the bone. But I think that we know the president has been so fixated on this. And the grand jury is impaneled. The grand jury is in place. They keep interviewing witnesses. Mm-hmm. They keep probing. Uh, and um, if anything, it looks to me like they're gearing up, not down. Exactly. And I think that look, look, the prevailing question is still, uh, well, one, when will the president, if he does, uh, sit down with the special counsel? Will he sit down for an interview? Will there be some sort of written questions uh, that are allowed uh, by the special counsel? I think the latter might be unlikely. There's no way Robert Mueller concludes this investigation without talking to the president. Um, and and even if there is not a direct link that is found to the president, there could be. We still just don't know about whether or not um, they've been able to tie everything back up to the top. There is concern within the president's inner circle that some people close to him could be ensnared, particularly Donald Trump Jr., who infamously, uh, at least in emails, uh, said that he was expressed a willingness to collude with the Russians. If it's what you say, Mm -hmm. I love it. He said of the uh, promise for damaging information from Moscow on Hillary Clinton and Jared Kushner, uh, the president's son-in-law and senior advisor, who was part of that infamous June 2016 meeting at Trump Tower that Mm -hmm. that, that Don Jr. facilitated. Right. Um, and so that's that's ongoing, and it looks also like they're getting more into Donald Trump's finances and the business connections that he mm-hmm. had with Russia before that might have influenced some things that happened dur- during the campaign. Uh, and on another front, there's a Michael Cohen investigation, <laughs> which may be more have a more immediate impact. Yes, Michael Cohen. First of all, I'm convinced would play himself in the movie. Um, about this entire episode. Uh, I, I think that he he could be one of the key uh, figures in this investigation who who people didn't people kind of view Michael Cohen as part of this whole investigation into the payments uh, to Stormy Daniels, uh, six figure sum, other f- payments that were facilitated to uh, silence women who were alleging affairs with the president and people close to him. Um, but then there, there is, there's also the the payments that he has accepted, or the millions of dollars he's accepted from companies, in exchange for at a minimum insight into the new administration. Obviously, it looks like he was trying to sell access. Uh, we don't know if he was successful in selling that access. And of course, Rudy Giuliani, lawyer of the year, has decided to continuously undermine uh, what the White House has said. Um, the White House, of course, initially said we knew nothing about these uh, pay these uh, the money that. Uh, the president's longtime personal attorney accepted in exchange for access. And then, of course, Rudy Giuliani pointed to the uh, AT&T Time Warner uh, merger to the president's yeah. opposition to it to say, of course, see, he didn't accept uh, their influence <laughs> because he was against uh, that merger and he tried to block it, which signals he was aware that Cohen was somehow in the mix here. Um, and it's also important to note that they might seem and like... And he also, Rudy is the one who told us that, yes, indeed, yes, Donald indeed. Trump knew about the knew payments, about the payments and he Daniels. paid them back. And then he tried to say, well, there was a rumor that he knew. And then George Stephanopoulos had to be like, no, you you started that rumor. You <laughs> stated it as fact. It's not a rumor. You came out here and you said that the president knew. And now you're saying it's a rumor that he knew. Um, obviously, a comedy of errors. But I think that um, people sometimes look at these as separate investigations. 
uh, but there could be overlap. Uh, there was also questions over Michael Cohen's ties to a Russian oligarch. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, so that you know, the, if if there's any connection uh, to to the Russia investigation, it's important to note that the documents that were seized by the FBI in their raid of Cohen's home. Um, those could be referred back to Mueller and his team if there is overlap. If there are any document documents that were uncovered relating to the separate investigation into right. Russian interference, right. then those can be referred back by uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in, in New York to Robert Mueller. Uh, so does Michael Cohen take a bullet for Donald Trump? It's easy to say you take a bullet when you're performing for an audience of one and you're trying to demonstrate your loyalty. And you're getting you paid have, a lot of money. And you're getting paid a lot of money. Now, Michael Cohen is someone who is facing uh, mounting legal fees. He's married. He's got two kids. And he hasn't yet been charged with a crime. But given what he is uh, looking at in terms of potential charges, everything from you know business and tax fraud to, to, to who knows what else, given the, the more that we learn about the selling of access... Um, you know, if you're facing years in jail, I think you might quickly reverse course. Um, of course, it's also always pertinent to point out that if Donald Trump was in fact aware of uh, these payments that Cohen uh, or these was was accepting in exchange for access, that is the precise behavior he railed against on the campaign trail when he promised to drain the swamp. This is peak swampiness. Um, but but that's been characteristic of this administration. I think everyone has seen a year and a half in that there has been no effort to drain the swamp. If anything, the water is only rising with the arrival of Trump. Yeah, it's hard to make the argument that you're trying that you are in fact draining the swamp when you have a a, a Scott Pruitt. Yeah. Um, a David Shulkin. Of course, he was an Obama appointee, but he but uh, uh, Trump kept him in place. Uh, and Tom Price and Ryan Zinke and all these other and Steve Mnuchin and all these other people who are um, living high on the hog. Yep. And just really quickly, because this often yes. goes overlooked, there was a ProPublica analysis just um, two months ago that found that at least 187 of Trump's political appointees uh, have been federal lobbyists, and many of them uh-huh. have been tasked with overseeing the industries on whose behalf they once lobbied. So that just gives you the extent of uh, the swampiness uh, that that we're seeing under Trump, uh, not to mention ethics waivers that also have enabled Trump staffers to work on issues where they may have financial conflicts of interest. So so are you a gambler? (laughs) When I go to Vegas, occasionally, Ah. (laughs) I dabble in some blackjack. Oh, there we go. I I just kind of knew it, right? So I was going to ask you, are you happy then with this new Supreme Court ruling on sports betting? Well, I don't know about happy. Um, I, 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 it's a rare win for Chris Christie, though. Yeah. When's the last time Poor we Chris heard, Christie. When's the last time we heard those Chris Christie and victory in the same <laughs> sentence? Of course, is the former oh, governor of New Jersey. Yeah. He was he, the one who brought about this. Yeah, challenge. he was a happy man yesterday, uh, particularly uh, for uh, for for New Jersey. Right. We'll take this out of the shadows, out of illegality, and uh, make it a legal enterprise. And I think that's going to be a great thing for the people of the state. You know what? If there were like a, a a gambling commissioner or something like that, oh, you know what? Boom, bingo, right? And there probably should be. I mean, that's yeah, part of yeah. what this leads to, right? Like, if if you haven't been a degenerate gambler in your life, I'm lucky enough to have been one. They like bookies, just sort of they run completely unregulated, right? So it's just basically like a trust thing. 
Right. You have to trust your bookie. And so if you get a bad one or you get one that might have tendencies towards being a little evil, right? Like you could get totally screwed, totally screwed by a bad bookie. And so, like, if they are going to move forward with this and they're going to try and make this happen, there's going to have to be some serious regulation, which is, I mean, Mm -hmm. what Las Vegas deals with. I mean, Las Vegas has a ton of regulation, uh, and it seems to be working out pretty well for them. So you could see, I mean, I could see that they they would create, there's probably going to be some follow-up legislation to this rule. Sure. They could create a, a national commission led by... Okay, my nom- my candidate right now, Chris Christie. He was made for that job. <laughs> made. For- it could be led by Harry Reid, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's Chris Christie's job. You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, I know we're off on a tangent here, everybody. Just stick with us here, but you know, when I was growing up, I had a couple of uncles. My uncles who were bookies. Oh wow! Oh wow! Really? Yeah. Yeah. I remember one of them in particular, and I really didn't know what it was all about. All I knew was he was a bookie. Oh, I, knew, wow. I heard that <laughs> fra- phrase, and uh, and I'd see, you know, my dad had a gas station. He'd come around and talk to my dad, and he'd talk to other, you know, that was his stuff. That, that and he he was very successful, made a lot of money, and that was he was he was our family bookie. Everybody knew it was illegal, but everybody. is that in your book? <laughs> no, it's not you in my put book. That in your book about I your bookie uncles. Because <clears throat> uh, I didn't want to get arrested. Oh, fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Incrimination. Yeah. But like, but you know, I mean, in all but honesty, they are all over the place. They're all over the place. They're all over the place. Sports like, gambling. They are. Is huge. Well, that was the argument that was made. Is that it's this happening. is happening anyway? Yeah, it's, it's happening, happening under the table. People argued that all the fantasy football that you know the bets people create there that 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 is in its own its own form of gambling. So there was a lot of arguments made about how this is just bringing it out into the open so that you could regulate it as an industry. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there, there, there you go. Finally, uh, too bad my uncle's passed right now because this could be <laughs> this could be his moment to uh, to come out of the shadows, uh, as Chris Christie said. Um, we thought that somebody at the White House uh, might come out of the shadows yesterday and apologize for the John <laughs> McCain remark. Uh, good, good segue. Raj Shaw has, was asked about that at the briefing, of course. He was filling in for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, he said, basically, this is none of your business. This is an internal matter. It's being addressed uh, internally, and I don't have anything further to add. It's not really just an internal matter, is it? It's also not being addressed internally. <laughs> yeah, because he also the then said, if like, <laughs> when he was continuously pressed, that it has been addressed internally. So is it being addressed or it has been addressed? I mean, look, I think... Neither. Neither. Um, look, I don't think this needed to be a six-day controversy, but then the White House turned it into one because they they refused to just say, look... The joke was in poor taste, and we apologize. Um, and then have uh, Kelly, Kelly Sadler publicly apologize. You know, she doesn't have to come out before the cameras. Literally, a two-sentence statement would have she been fine. A written she statement. Tweet everybody tweets, tweets at the White House, right? Everyone's tweeting over there. Yeah. Um, and so now we're still talking about it. And I, you know, she privately apologized to John McCain's daughter, Meghan McCain. And then, according to reports. When Megan had asked her, well, can you apologize publicly? She said no. So, well, I thought she said she would, but then she, she never did. Well, the first thing, there's conflicting indica- yeah. you know, reports over whether or not she just declined to do it or she said she would and then she hasn't. And then you have people like Mercedes Schlapp, who is uh, another press uh, um, official who is also married to Matt Schlapp of 
CPAC fame, um, who who said in a meeting that was then, of course, also leaked, I stand with Kelly Sadler as if this is some big front that they where they have to take sides. Um, and they're more focused on the leaks than the substance of the comments, uh, which is, of course, another characteristic of this White House. But by the way, I think that, yeah, when you talk about characteristics of the White House, I think these are all coming directly from the top. Mm-hmm. Right, Absolutely. this confrontational—you got to pick sides. Which I know that that like the well, the, the White House is obviously a very—it's uh, a pressure cooker, right? No matter who the president is, but especially with Donald Trump, pitting people against each other, trading on gossip, like gossip is currency there in the White House. Uh, leaking, I think, as much as Donald Trump complains about it, he wants—he doesn't. It's not, it's not mad about the leaks. He wants it all to be leaked to of him. Of course, he's been his own anonymous source. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look, the tone is set from the top. They're just following his lead. The president has never apologized for anything, and he did not apologize when, as a candidate, he mocked Senator McCain for being a prisoner of war. Right. He never apologized for that no, comment. No, no. So yeah. at the end of the day, you know, if, so, if there was to be an apology, uh, the directive could have and, and typically would have come from the president, and we all know that he's probably saying, stand your ground, you know, this is another you fake news controversy, and, and just fight it. You, you know exactly that's what he's saying. Right. And why should we be surprised that some White House staffer would slur or smear Donald or John McCain right. when it started, right, with Donald Trump? The other thing that, that really I think is unfortunate about this, I have a column in, in The Hill today where I make that point, is that this flap over her comment really overshadows what John McCain said about Gina Haspel and yes. torture. Yes. So, so here's a man who was tortured. It was in a prison for five and a half years in, in, in Vietnam. Uh, and he said, torture is immoral. Torture does not work. And anybody who was involved in overseeing a torture chamber should not be the head of the CIA. Nobody's talking about the the substance of what he said, you'd which is think, profoundly important. You'd almost think that the White House wants people to look the other way uh, from Gina Haspel. And Not just the White House, but the Republicans in Congress do, too. And we're all doing it. Um, I mean, here's the one guy, right, who knows torture right. in, the, in, in the entire Congress, Democrat or Republican. And none of those Republicans, with their professed outrage at what the White House did, none right. of them are paying any attention to what John McCain said about Gina Haspel. And in, in and not even some of the Democrats, Joe Manchin and Joe Donnelly, say they're going to vote for her. Exactly. Oddly enough, the only unlikely bedfellow that John McCain might find is his usual, his typically foe, Rand Paul, who, though having said that, said he wouldn't vote for Mike Pompeo, citing in part his role in enhanced interrogation or support for torture. Sorry, stated support for enhanced yeah, interrogation right, tactics, right. as well as his vote for the Iraq War. And uh, Trump knows how to call it. He said Rand has never let me down, and so he didn't let him down. He went and voted for Mike Pompeo anyway. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he votes for Gina Haspel after making a public show of his opposition. Um, I think she'll skirt well, by. now that the Supreme Court has made it legal, I'll bet you money. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> This is the game called the Rand Paul School I'm glad of you Politics. Were going, I thought you were, for a moment, I was like, the Supreme Court made torture illegal? No. Okay. <laughs> that, made the, betting the, the gambling, illegal. the betting. Okay. I will Thank bet God. you money that Rand Paul <laughs> will vote for Gina Haspel. All right. I mean, look, I think that the, the, the other, I think this is a reminder, though, that enhanced interrogation uh, tactics are uh, something that they have, they have continue to have bipartisan support. Um, like you said, Democrats cannot be relied upon to hold the line here. 
Um, you've seen quite a lot of prominent Democrats from the national security community come out in support of Haspel, uh, touting her reputation at the agency. Uh, so, so this is certainly a, a, a you know, a former progressive right. uh, or libertarian cause. Yeah, yeah. They sort of say, well. That was just a little blip in her career. You know, she was sent out there to do that. So well, yeah. she, she did it, but she, she was, was only following, following orders. orders. You could stand up against those orders. You could decide that there's a moral line uh, well, that you will not cross. At one time, that was um, our belief, and that was our policy, and that's what we preached, that when you were given uh, an order to do something immoral and illegal, you stood up against it. But that's not what people are saying about, uh, about Gina Haspel. Uh, Sabrina Siddiqui here with us. For the entire hour, as a friend of Bill, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, welcome to the table, Pema Levy from Mother Jones. Uh, shake things up even uh, a little bit more. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. You got it on a Tuesday, May 15. How about it? Wrapping up here on the Bill Press Show with all the news of the day coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Uh, and our studio on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, and the Supreme Court, where they okayed or told states they can go ahead with sports betting uh, yesterday in a big 6-3 to three decision. we got all the news of the day, and we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, uh, the good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox, who's going to be a guest uh, in studio with us this Friday. Uh, those good, proud members of the AFGE, proud to uh, get up and work for America every day. We salute them and direct you to the website at afge.org. Sabrina Siddiqui from The Guardian holding court here as a friend of Bill for the hour, uh, <laughs> joined by uh, our good friend from Mother Jones. Uh, Pema Levy, you guys know each other? Have you a little bit? We do. We hang out sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Pamela. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> All right. Good to see you. Uh, poor Joe Arpaio. Why don't you leave this guy alone? You've been. We haven't heard that. <laughs> we haven't heard that name in a long time. Sheriff Joe. He's running. Is he, he is running. For he's Senate. running for yes. Senate in yes. Arizona for the. Yeah, flake for, seat, for, yes, huh? exactly. Yeah, the whole thing was that they they pardoned him, saying, "Oh, he's 85. He's too old. We can't possibly have him serve prison time." And then uh, it turns out he's he's got enough energy to run for Senate. So. Isn't he a felon? Uh, so, yeah. So he was convicted of criminal contempt of court, um, which basically is... Well, if he can't vote as a felon, why can't he run for office? <laughs> well, he was pardoned. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That, if, means, it, it, that means across the board everything goes? Clean yeah, slate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, is a, it, is a, it is a clean slate. Well, so mm -mm. that you asked that is interesting because that's what I've just been writing about. Um, that is the question, right, is whether oh, or not oh, okay. his, um, you know, how much a pardon um, actually does clean your record. Um, and in this particular case, whether or not the pardon of Joe Arpaio was actually constitutional. Uh, we think about the pardon power as being incredibly broad. And, you know, pundits go on TV and they say that, you know, this is basically unlimited. The president can basically do whatever he wants when it comes to the pardon. Um, but there is a group of prominent constitutional scholars that believe that this pardon um, was actually unconstitutional because uh, basically what happened is Arpaio was, convic was convicted of violating people's constitutional rights. And then when he continued to violate them, the court held him in contempt. And so basically what they argue this pardon did is that it put Trump's power to pardon over the constitutional rights of Arpaio's victims. 
Um, so if we have a system where the president can pardon someone for ongoing constitutional rights violations, then the president basically has the power to, to veto people's constitutional rights. Uh, and so that's the argument. And uh, through a sort of interesting twist, it's actually headed for the Ninth Circuit. Ooh. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty convincing argument to me. Mm -hmm. I found it very interesting. It is. So what happens when it heads to the Ninth Circuit then? Well, we'll just see what happens, what the Ninth Circuit does. I mean, uh, I would say that a lot of scholars believe that this is a long shot just because it's a really big deal to place limits on the president's power, on his constitutional powers. And so it's a bit of a long shot. At the same time, this is a separation of powers. Some presidents might necessitate (laughs) new limits on constitutional authority. And the fact that this isn't in the Ninth Circuit, if there is a circuit that is going to be willing to go out on this limb, it's probably the Ninth Circuit. Um, and, you know, they made the decision to take this case. They didn't have to take this case, right. but they made the decision that they wanted to take this case um, and they teed it up so that they could hear arguments on this issue. And, and you know, this is an issue about separation of power and whether or not the courts can check the president because ultimately what the president did was he pardoned someone for violating a court order, not, not a federal law, but a court right. order based on constitutional rights. So if the president can do that, then the court's power to enforce their own orders and protect rights is really just a right on, you know, a power on paper as opposed to, a, you know, a power in fact. You know, this, this in a way gets back to what Sabrina and I were talking about earlier, which is the Mueller investigation in this sense that th- this question of that Rudy Giuliani is tasked with, is he going to sit down with Robert Mueller or not? Mm-hmm. And, if, or, and if he doesn't voluntarily do so, mm. if Robert Mueller subpoenas him to mm. appear, would he have to appear? I, I read last week in the New York Review of Books a long article by Noah Feldman, great legal scholar, on this question about whether the president would have to obey that legal right. order. And I have to tell you, at the end of it, I didn't know what the answer was because there are legal scholars all over the freaking place on that issue as to whether or not the president would have to comply. Yeah, I think that when I talk to people about the Arpaio pardon, it sounds like a distant issue but people immediately bring it back to the Mueller investigation because the Mueller investigation has basically two big questions that we don't know the answer to. One is, can can the president use the pardon power to basically inoculate himself from a criminal investigation. Mm-hmm. Can he can go he pardon through himself? pardoning witnesses? Right. Can or, he pardon witnesses? When, if they perjure themselves on his behalf, can he then you know, pardon them for that perjury? Probably. And then secondarily, as you just said, can he, can he go ahead and pardon himself? And those are questions we don't know the answer to. They've never, we never no, tested it. Never tested. <laughs> We've never had a situation like this. But if you have courts going in and limiting the pardon, pardon power and saying you can't use this power to override other laws and you know, our system of justice fundamentally... Um, then that is a strike against his ability to sort of pardon his way out of this investigation if it comes to that. So the two are definitely related. Yeah. You know, Sabrina, um, Rudy Giuliani uh, a couple of days ago said, uh, it was an interview with ABC News, a phone interview, where he said that um, he didn't think he would ever, he, the, pres- the president, would ever sit down with Mueller. And one of the reasons he gave was he says, well, we could, because we could never prepare him for it. well you can't i mean look and and he it's an understatement to say that almost anything that comes out of his mouth isn't true um and so you also are running the risk of exposing the president to perjury because you know he's not going to be forthcoming and honest with investigators um there's no way to prepare him for what robert Mueller already knows um 
because we don't know what Mueller knows. Certainly the president's legal team don't necessarily know. Uh, Mike Caputo, one of the former campaign aides, said that they that came out of that uh, a meeting with the special counsel and said they know way more than than anyone realizes. Um, but on the pardon question, of course, is also this, the issue of whether or not the president is preparing to pardon any of the people who are central to this investigation, people like Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn. And that's why when we were talking about Michael Cohen, and that's why his team is so worried about Cohen, because Cohen is also potentially facing charges at the state level. And that is where the president does not have the authority to issue a pardon. Mm -hmm. Um, That, of course, is a U.S. attorney's office um, in New York. So that would be, I think, that is part of why you've seen the president's team so much more focused on Cohen than they are at this point on Mueller. Right. Uh, a, a, a lawyer friend of mine over the weekend was pointing out that if you compare legal teams, like Robert Mueller hired really top-notch federal prosecutors or, or people who've been federal prosecutors from major law firms giving up a lot of money to take this job would not have done so if they didn't think they had a pretty good case. And they're the best probably in the business. And if you look at Donald Trump's legal team, right, he's got Rudy Giuliani, who's a clown and has proven that in the last couple of years. Jay Sekulow, who's a talk show host. I mean, as a talk show host, you, don't, <laughs> you would not hire me as a lawyer, right? Uh, I mean, he's got a pretty ragtag band of, and, he, and he's trying to find some top white shoe, white collar, whatever so uh, attorney some- firm, and they, none of them want to work for him. There was some little reported news that he actually hired two additional lawyers in Florida, um, a, a couple yes, that are yes. actually supposed to be very well regard, regarded defense attorneys in Florida. I don't know if they're quite in the um, sort of big leagues of, of, of Mueller's team, but they're, you know, the reviews of them as attorneys is very high. Um, I think what was interesting was why he picked, uh, you know, folks down in Florida for this. And I think part of the question is I wonder if Mueller's team is looking at uh, – at you know business that he's done in Florida as a reason, mm. but I you know we'll we'll just have to wait and see. With as with much of of this investigation, yeah, and he famously for thirty seconds was going to hire Joe DeGenova and Victoria Tunzing and met them and then decided he didn't like them after all. He saw them on Fox News. He thought they were great, but so well the issue is they're already defending people in the Mueller probe, so they had significant conflicts of interest. <laughs> um, especially I think Victoria Tunzing has clients. Um, that you know that so if if they took on Trump as a client they would they would be conflicted because they would be representing people whose interests ultimately might conflict. Mm-hmm. Pamela Levy here with us from the Guardian. Oh no, not from the Guardian. From Mother <laughs> Jones, uh, Sabrina Siddiqui here from the Guardian. It's hard to escape what we saw yesterday. Uh, it was a split screen moment around the world, like for the entire day, uh, in Israel. On the one side. Um, Javanka and Steve Mnuchin and Bibi Netanyahu in the front row as they unveiled the the big uh, news sign on the what was was the American consulate in Jerusalem, which is now the American embassy in Jerusalem, uh, and the other side of the split screen what, what was happening 60 miles away, um, with 58 people killed by live gunfire um, uh, from the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, some 2,400 injured, 1,300 of them by, again, through live ammunition. In Jerusalem, meanwhile, it was nothing but a, as Bibi Netanyahu called it, a glorious day. And uh, the speakers went out of the way to make it almost a Donald Trump campaign rally. Here's the Ameri- our American ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. Today's historic event is attributed 
to the vision, the courage, and the moral clarity of one person to whom we owe an enormous and eternal debt of gratitude, President Donald J. Trump. An eternal debt of gratitude and Bibi Netanyahu, again, giving Donald Trump just what he wants, which is uh, effusive praise. President Trump, by recognizing history, you have made history. Yeah. Uh, and on the other hand, again, 58 people killed at the Gaza border and Raj Shah yesterday at the White House saying it's Hamas's fault. It was just nothing but a big propaganda thing on the part of Hamas. So what do we think about what we saw? Who's, who's first? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I think that, you know, I think the other thing that the White House put out yesterday was that they didn't think that this would, you know, be a problem for peace talks in the region. Yeah. But it's hard to look at what's going on and and see how it couldn't be. Um, you know, you have in the span of, of a week, uh, the United States, on the one hand, pulling out of the Iran deal, accusing them of violating the deal, even when everyone else says, no, they haven't. They've been following the rules. Um, you have, you know, the you know, the right wing folks on Fox News saying, you know, you know, talking about the Israeli embassy as a, you know, a shot at Iran and a warning to Iran, you know, talking about it in biblical terms, you know, that, that the United oh, yeah. States stands with Israel. Um, and it, you know, and then you see the violence uh, uh, yesterday as well. And it's it's hard to see that how this doesn't impact, you know, peace in the region um, for, for a potentially a long time. Anybody who thinks, I believe, that this will make it easier to get the Palestinians and the Israelis no. at the table for a serious conversation. There's well, This has ended any semblance of the notion that the U.S. is a neutral broker in these honest, negotiations. The honest broker. And, and it hasn't yeah. been, frankly, for a long no, time. That was right. a farce to begin with. But if you, are, if you are looking at the status quo, the Palestinians have not even spoken uh, with this administration in months. And now they have no incentive to sit down with this administration thanks to the embassy move and, and declaring Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And I think that um, you, you frankly are now leaving a void because the U.S. has overseen this peace process for the past 25 years. Uh, and there's going to have to be another country that steps in uh, to fill that void if and when there are even going to be another round of serious peace talks, which now have been you know, kick down the road for the foreseeable future. Um, and it, it just adds to the instability in the region. And we were talking about Iran. Uh, you know, there is this shadow war between Israel and, and, and Iran in, in Syria. Uh, you have the pulling back from the Iran nuclear deal. So there's a great deal of volatility that's now only going to be exacerbated. Um, the European leaders are trying to see what they can do to salvage uh, the nuclear accord. Uh, but that's highly unlikely, of course, if the U.S. were to reimpose sanctions. Uh, but there's an effort underway, at least for Europe, to comply and continue to provide economic relief to Tehran if, if they're willing to con continue and stick to the terms of the deal. Uh, frankly, the only country that has violated this deal is the United States. Right, right. Uh, and, and back to what's happening in Gaza, there's no doubt, and uh, you, you almost feel compelled to say uh, I, that we all support, or I certainly support, the state of Israel and the right to exist in security and 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 in uh, there in the region, but if any other country on the planet had opened live fire against unarmed protesters, whether it was Venezuela or Cuba, or just imagine, right? We would be condemning it with full voice, everybody mm -hmm. around the world, worldwide condemnation. 
Israel does that. They're not fire hoses, they're not tear gas, you know, no other non-lethal means. Live ammunition. And and the White House says, well, Israel has a right to defend itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's, I mean, I, I feel like this whole... It's a total whole... double standard that, that Bibi can do anything he wants. Yeah, I mean, I feel like on some level, what we're seeing with the opening of this embassy in Jerusalem, it, it kind of feels like classic Trump. Um, you, you start out by making big promises, like we're going we're gonna to do peace. No one else could do peace, and we're going to do peace. Jared Kushner is going to do peace. And then what they actually mean by that is they're just going to do what their you know, base of supporters wants, what the, you know, their evangelical supporters and you know, f- um, you know, Republican Jewish people want. Um, and then they're going to walk away. You know, and it's not actually going to be any sort of solution that they talked about. It, it, if anything, it exacerbates the problem. Um, but they just sort of claim victory. They cater exactly to the people that help them get elected. Um, and then they, they sort of walk away. And so I'm going to be really curious what, what they do, you know, coming going forward, because like you just said, <laughs> that was a big deal. And they just sort of, you know, brushed it aside as if it as if it was nothing. And I think, you know, going forward, they're not going to be able to bring peace to the region and, you know, and broker a deal. And so they're likely to sort of just sort of anything that happens, just sort of sweep it away as nothing and pretend that they have solved something when they haven't. If there were 40,000 protesters in Paris and Emmanuel Macron's forces opened fire mm-hmm. on them and killed 58 people, the world would be aflame with pro- with condemnation of Emmanuel Macron, right? Again, 58 people in, in Gaza, and it's their fault. They're just, they're just stirring things up. Right. Um, one thing that that's worth remarking, which I thought... It's a little troubling, I guess, is that several people have pointed out that where Trump might get away with this in that there were protests against the opening of this embassy along the Gaza border yesterday, but no other Arab country in the region where there are protests. It's mm. almost like this these yeah. co- these conflicts between the Israelis and either the Palestinian Authority, but this is not them. It's Hamas right. um, that people even in the Arab world, are not that well, concerned about it. Part anymore. of why this this has been able to Which, proceed, part of why Trump was able to take these actions in the first place is because the neighboring Arab states have increasingly shied away from this conflict. And, and frankly, some of them have con- started to warm up to the Israeli government. So the crown prince in because Saudi they Arabia. See, they see Iran they see as Iran a common enemy. As a, as a threat, especially because of the lifting of the sanctions and, and the prospect of economic upward mobility. Um, there's a lot of interest in maintaining the geopolitical power structure as it has currently stood. So Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia, of course, Saudi being one of the chief opponents of the Iran deal, has warmed up uh, slowly to Bibi Netanyahu, uh, so has uh, the president of Egypt. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. that in part because of that abdication of leadership on the part of, of the neighboring Arab states, um, there hasn't been uh, the pushback that you had seen right. in the past. And I also think just to the point of the Trump administration's response to protests, I mean, I think back to the 2014 uh, Gaza war and there were there were ultimately UN investigators found uh, war crimes committed both by Israelis and mm-hmm. Palestinians. But, you know, the Palestinian death toll significantly outweighed uh, that of IDF forces. It was, you know, over 2,000 by the numbers versus 64 Israeli soldiers killed. Um, And at the time, Obama took a lot of criticism from progressives for not uh, firmly and for not condemning forcefully enough 
uh, some of the war crimes on the Israeli side. But he did still speak out against the targeting of civilians, children and hospitals. I mean, even that little bit mattered ultimately. Uh, so you wonder what, um, you know, the, the, the willingness to, to look away yesterday, uh, what that paves the road for moving forward. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, with us from uh, Mother Jones, Pema Levy, and uh, Sabrina Siddiqui here from um, The Guardian. Um, I'm so excited about the royal wedding. Uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, the, um, the ceremony opened yesterday. Pema's Pema. hosting the watch party. <laughs> she hasn't been invited to the watch party. Uh, the ceremony opened yesterday with the invocation by an unusual um, guest, uh, a, an American evangelical preacher, Robert Jeffress. Here he is. Heavenly Father, we come before you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thanking you for bringing us to this momentous occasion in the life of your people and in the history of our world. Yes, and they're in front of that uh, audience of mainly uh, Israelis and Jews. He said, uh, he ended by saying something, and we, and we do this in the name of Jesus, our <laughs> Lord, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, so this is a man, Pemi, you've written about who's not necessarily that friendly to Jews worldwide. Yeah, this is a man who has never shied away from uh, condemning religions that are not his own. So I'm not surprised that um, there was that, that little bit at the end there. Um, this is someone who's extremely controversial. I, you know, he is known for, for example, calling Islam a heresy from the pit of hell. Mm -hmm. uh, he said the same thing about Mormonism. Heresy he, from the pit of hell. <clears throat> absolutely. Right. He thinks that uh, Catholicism um, is derived from Satan. Uh, you know, and, and, and the Jews are going to hell. But, I mean, you know, th that's fine. Oh, other lots than of, that. <laughs> lots of people, you know, think that their religion is the only one true religion. Um, but this is... This, he embodies a, a, a another level of disrespect, um, you know, calling pretty much every other major major religion a cult. Um, and then I think what's what's honestly most disturbing what's to me. What's he doing there? <laughs> I mean, this is someone who has cozied up to Donald Trump. So this is someone who, let me just say, he's also known for being virulently anti-gay. Um, you know, he said that the Supreme Court decision legalizing same-sex marriage was the worst decision the Supreme Court has ever made. <clears throat> Um, but this is someone who is also a Fox News contributor. He gets paid by Fox News, and he goes on TV, and he has cozied up to Donald Trump. Donald Trump sees him on TV. He sees him, you know, praising him, and he's, you know, taking him on as an uh, uh, informal advisor. And, you know, this is someone who goes on Fox News and then tries to, you know, pull from the Bible um, justification for Trump's policies. So this is a guy who said that God uh, isn't necessarily an open borders guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I mean, I mean, this is someone who says that, you know, Trump has, you know, the God given right to attack North Korea. Um, this is someone who is willing to trade his position as a pastor for, um, you know, the ear of the president. And he was rewarded yesterday in Jerusalem. I guess it's the kind of preacher or religious counselor you want, Sabrina, who will um, find an excuse somewhere in the Bible to justify <laughs> anything you do. I, for one, am shocked that <laughs> Trump chose someone who's variantly anti-Muslim for this post. Um, yeah. Look, I, it's it also I think just reinforces. And A you were speaking from the pit of hell. <laughs> you were you were speaking about this earlier in the in the program. It reinforces um, the complete. Uh, 
past that evangelical leaders have given to Trump and the, the, the relationship between those who are on the fringe and this administration, which is largely a quid pro quo in the interest of getting concessions from this administration. They're willing to look the other way um, at basically every aspect of who Donald Trump is and, and, and what his past has been. Right. Um, what is, um, do you think, if I don't know if you have enough time to really get into this. Um, <laughs> Emma I, I, can have the last word. Here we are in the middle of 2018, okay? We're already there in, in the midterms. What impact is the Me Too movement going to have on 2018. Oh, that was a total turn. That was a totally different. Topic. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I just wanted to. Yeah, you got one You've minute. Got Thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. 30 seconds. Uh, I think it will probably have an impact. I think you know, if nothing else, I think it's galvanized people. Uh, you know, the big challenge for Democrats often is to get young women and women of color to vote in in, in higher numbers um, to turn out more to get millennials to turn out more. So you know, at the very least, I think that Democrats have tried to make themselves the party of, of mm-hmm. the Me Too movement um, to actually expel mm-hmm. people who who are found to have like hurt women. And, uh, you know, I think it, it can only work to their advantage in that way. Yes, I think galvanizing is the key word, and a lot of it has to do with enthusiasm at the polls um, and, the, and a rejection that was, I think, symbolized and captured in the Women's March of this administration and what it stands for. Yeah, no, I think so, too. And the galvanizing in two ways, right? It's people turning out to vote, and to working campaigns, but also running for office. Mm, we see yes. so many women candidates today. It's really, really exciting. I think it's sort of changed things around. So, uh, And thank you both. Emma, thanks so much for coming in. And uh, Sabrina, you're in this chair this next. This is The Bill Press Show.